you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim, Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Today, we welcome the one and only Mr. Gary Chambers Jr. He is a dedicated social justice advocate, community organizer, and an entrepreneur. Gary Chambers took this nation by storm when he went to a school board meeting and told it like a T.I. is, as my grandmother would say, like it is. He really laid it down on behalf of the students of his community, East Baton Rouge. Oh my God, this right here is certainly an episode you do not want to miss. Come join me as we have a conversation about the journey thus far for Mr. Gary Chambers Jr. You ran on a very strong, progressive platform. Things happened another way. God had another plan. And then you partnered up with our dear sister, Karen Carter-Peterson. So let's let's go backwards a little bit before we go forward, because I want to talk about this nonprofit you, you got bigger than me and how you've been traveling all over this country to lift up folks. You, you've been all the way to California. Did you go to Hawaii yet? No, but, okay. you know, we open to everywhere. All. All 50 states. <laughs> All 50 states. Plus the District of Columbia. That's right. Hello. 
The U.S. Virgin Islands are on the all table, that, too. All that. <laughs> Might need an island after all this. <laughs> So let's let's talk about this journey. I mean, you are an activist. You are a movement leader. I mean, the way you came to my attention is when you were going off on the school board. I mean, you took it there. I have some girlfriends of mine in Cleveland, Ohio, and we always talk about going ziggity boo. I don't know if we made that up or got that from somebody, but you went totally ziggity boo on that school board. You became a viral phenomenon for your direct talk. And it wasn't just you. You weren't trying to be... A smart ass, I'm just gonna say it. You were really laying it down about the respect of the issue that you were talking about and the people who were elected to be in service and the fact that they were really ignoring the community. And you do it with such flair and such style and only the way that Gary Chambers can do. And it just really, just that plain talk with passion really caught a lot of people's attention. So I wanna go all the way back. What motivates, what motivates Gary Chambers? That's a big question. I, I would say wanting to see my community better is, is a motivation. You know, I, I still live in the same neighborhood I grew up in, uh, literally like across the street from my parents now, right? And walk us through the neighborhood virtually. Tell us about the community. So I grew up in an all black neighborhood, middle class black neighborhood where I could go outside, ride my bike, play with my friends, leave my bike in the front yard, come in, leave the door unlocked go outside and do the same thing again the next day. I, I come from a zip code, uh, 70811, that they don't talk about our zip codes on TV. They talk about uh, black communities as if we are a monolith, not understanding that there's so much complexity and diversity to who we are uh, as black people. And I remember as a kid, you know, I could ride my bike to a grocery store and now I can't. I remember that there were so many amenities that were so close to my home. And as I got older, they weren't there anymore. And so, you know, eventually I started asking questions. You know, I was the uh, publisher of the Rouge Collection, which is a Black-owned media company that myself and two of my friends started back in 2012. And we just were trying to be young people having like a diverse version of another publication in the city. And then several events happened in the city that kind of helped me to pivot into advocacy, right? And I didn't know that's what it was at the time. For me, it was, you know, something's wrong here. I have a platform. I'm going to say something about it. And I did, and not fully understanding that that was advocating at the time. But then people began to know me for that. And what people saw with the whole Connie moment at the school board, you know, I've been showing up to city council meetings and break board meetings, which is our parks and recreation and you know, help elect our first black woman mayor and countless other things. An emergency room closed in my neighborhood. Uh, we helped to get a new emergency room opened in North Baton Rouge. And so Connie was kind of like, and my friends and I, we always say, we don't know why that video of all of the things decided to go viral because I probably had like a better speech before the government before, but you know, God's timing and all of that other stuff. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say God's timing is everything. Yeah. Set time. It has been, you know, matter of fact, I think next week is a year since all of that happened. And it has been a whirlwind. Of course, you know, I ran for Congress since then. That was something that probably would not have been possible for me without having uh, garnered so much national attention. And so I just wake up every morning thanking God for the opportunity to live in this time and this era and fight for the values that I feel are important. 
And you're doing that in such a mighty way. I'm going to put a link so folks can see the video uh, that I am making a reference to, but you really went ham as the young folks say, I don't even know if that's still in. It might be, you know, I got to, I got to check with my, I got to check with the millennials and disease to see if that's still in. (laughs) Ham, it might be gone. That might be out the it, out the. It could be in for the day, though. We use it for the for day. The day. <laughs> but but you, you really went ham in such a powerful, powerful way. Was a school board member. You went off on. You went ham on. Kinda. She just was ignoring. You know, like you weren't there having a conversation. You called her out because she was shopping while you were talking about issues of serious magnitude uh, when it comes to the children of uh, North Baton Rouge. And I want the people who are on this particular journey with us to be able to go back and, and watch you in action. Cause there's nothing like seeing uh, Gary Chambers in, in action. I, I can't do it any justice just by describing how you just laid it down that day and it did take off. And so you've been doing activism work for a while, but you didn't necessarily call it activism. You were just doing what you thought was right over the years. And I had that in common with you when I kind of reflected my life a little bit. And I'm saying to myself, by today's standard, I was an activist, but I didn't think of it like that when I was in that moment, either starting a progressive student organization when I was in college or going into some of the poorest neighborhoods in Cleveland to help register people to vote. I just thought I was just doing what was right and what was necessary too, because right and necessary go hand in hand. And I think you and I have that in common. So you became a national, probably worldwide phenomenon for standing up and speaking truth to power. You ran for Congress. What was that experience like? And what advice would you give to people who are thinking about running for office? It was a very rewarding experience for me. Um, You know, I got to meet thousands of amazing people that really care about Louisiana, care about this country, care about the future uh, of all of our children, right? And I got to spend time with an amazing team. Uh, I handpicked my team and we fell short by 1,500 votes, right? Against two sitting state senators. And when I look back at what we've done and the energy that still remains in our state and in our community as a result of that, the manner in which we've pushed our now congressman further to the left than he probably ever would have gone had we not been in the race, the way that we have built so many transformational relationships, right? People who are game changers uh, in their own right that want to see the state that is ranked 50th in the nation begin to ascend from the bottom of the map, right? And so for me, I I would not trade the experience for the world. I think that I got to see how amazing the people of this state are and experience them in ways that, you know, you just don't get to unless you you have one of these experiences. And and I'm sure you know that from running for office. It's a very humbling experience, you know? And then no matter what the outcome of the election When people give you a vote of confidence, when people are willing to go into a ballot box uh, and check your name and say, this is the person that I want to represent me, that means something to me, you know, and I am ever inspired from this experience and motivated to do the work necessary to flip the South Blue. Yeah, and you are traveling the country, but particularly the South, and I've heard you declare many times that uh, the South is 
in a period of transformation. And I think, you know, bigger than a party, I, I don't necessarily want to link what I'm about to say to the Democratic Party, but for the sake of simplicity, I guess that I will. In other words, the interests of the people of the South, you believe that the South is winnable in terms of, of a progressive agenda. And if that agenda is carried out by the Democratic Party, then so be it. Talk to us about, because for so long, especially from a partisan perspective, the Democratic Party itself had given up on the South. But lo and behold, progressives like you have really just charged onto the scene and say, hey, wait a minute, the South is winnable. And, and mainly because of, I think, the policies or the changing of material conditions, I believe, is why you are saying that the South is winnable. You know, if you want to look at, from my perspective, conservative policies and see where they don't work, uh, you go to the South, right? Because Republicans typically run the government from the federal level down in southern states. Uh, both of our U.S. senators are Republicans. Every statewide office, with the exception of our governor, is a Republican. Our legislature is majority Republican. Our school board here in Baton Rouge and our city council in a majority black, majority Democrat city is majority Republican. Um, and our state ranks 50 in the nation. Right. And so when what I don't think that progressives or Democrats have done a good job at is articulating uh, the holes in the Republican message. Right. We've allowed them to own the narrative of industry and business. And the truth is, you're not successful at it. You know, uh, the states that rank the best uh, economies, most of them have either a Democrat as governor or Democratic legislatures. Uh, the states that rank the worst have a Republican uh, as governor or Republican legislature in like seven out of the top 10 for Democrats and seven out of the bottom worst for Republicans. Right. So where's the disconnect? I don't think we've ever attempted to, to tell the story. You know, uh, we, we've allowed this these false narratives to exist and we haven't combated them with hard data. Uh, I always use this quote, in God we trust everybody else bring data, right? Uh, and, and the data says that Republican policies aren't working because these states are ranked here as a result of Republican leadership. And, and when I talk about a progressive agenda, I'm talking about things that make sense to working class people, that people should have a $15 an hour minimum wage minimum, that people should... Uh, in the richest country on earth, not go bankrupt if they get sick, that your kids should be able to go, uh, especially if we know that we're moving into an era where people need advanced uh, degrees, that we should have public colleges tuition free, right? These things are not That's controversial. Uh, these things, in my opinion, are foundationally American, that we have just not done a good job telling our own story as progressives. And what we proved in our race is that this message works in the South. But what I will tell you does not work in the South is ideology without relationship. Come on. That the progressive movement has not talked to my grandmother's generation in the deep South, has not sat and, you know, had a pot of red beans with her and talked about the change that we want to see happen in her community, because if we did, we could earn her support. But you know who does? the Jim Clyburns of the world, the Joe Bidens of the world, right? Uh, the establishment people do a very good job at relationship, even if their ideology is not in line with where the people's ideology is. And if we want the people in the South to take us seriously, we have to marry ideology and relationship to do so. 
Is there something to be said about the 21st century version of the progressive movement, the freedom fighting movement, the conscious minded movement, however we want to label, that it is it's still in its genesis. And I say that because one man pretty much galvanized that energy that was there in the personage of Senator Bernie Sanders in 2015 when he declared that he was running for office and he challenged the status quo of the Democratic Party and also challenged the American people to make a demand and dream bigger dreams. Now, I'm paraphrasing. I'm putting my turnerism on it. But if you look at it from that perspective, when we compare more neoliberal ideology to a progressive or conscious minded or humanitarian ideology. Is there something to be said about the youthfulness of this 21st century version of our movement? And, and what advice do you have for people who lean our way, who might not necessarily call themselves progressives? I mean, I don't think black folks by and large, to me, we invented progressivism because it don't get no more progressive than, than working for your freedom for your absolute running for your life type freedom throughout the history generationally of our people. But liberation, you know, liberation has always been our goal. And I see a connection between progressivism in the 21st century and the liberation struggle that our people have had since we stepped foot by force on this continent in this country. I mean, to your point, Gary, that you were making about relationship, what advice would you have for the progressive movement and how to cultivate a more multiracial, multi-ethnic movement that speaks both to your grandmother, but then also to my son? I think that there is certainly something to the infancy of where we are. And I think that that's a good way to look at it because some of us behave like toddlers when we didn't win. The generation of freedom fighters that came before us, they understood that they had, this was the struggle, right? Uh, that when they say that, they say that not because it's something that is cliche or something we enjoy to say, it is because it is the reality that, that this is something that is ongoing. This is a ever pressing give and take and pull an ebb and a flow that exists to this. And my encouragement to, to I'm a millennial, I'm 35. So I'm like right at the beginning of uh, being a millennial. And what I would say to my generation and the generations behind us is that we have to be committed to this work for the long haul, right? That Bernie Sanders may never be our president and that is unfortunate, but he will certainly go down in history as an individual who reshaped American politics for the good is what I believe, okay. right? And that there will be a president that shares those values at some point if we are committed to this work long-term, if, if we are willing to do what I did, right? That even when you're not victorious, not pick up your toys and go home, but to stay in the fight, even when that doesn't work out the way that, that you wanted to, uh, to evolve yet again and stay in the fight because if we are serious about wanting to see a Green New Deal, if we are serious about wanting to see Medicare for all, if we are serious about uh, wanting to live in a more equitable society, then we have to do this work even when it's difficult, even when we lose, even when things are not working out our way. Because what I've learned is, and, and please understand that I am not promoting gradualness, but what I've learned is that we are progressing and moving things forward. We are changing the trajectory of this country 
every single day and that we are not seeing the wholesale change we want to see happen. But to change the American government is to to turn a ship, not a speedboat. And I think that some people, they want us to to function as if this is a speedboat and not a ship. Uh, a speedboat can turn on the drop of a dime, but a ship, it takes some 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 pulling to, to turn a ship. Uh, and, and so we didn't get here overnight and we're not going to come out of it overnight, even if we have Medicare for all tomorrow. Right. Even if we have a Green New Deal tomorrow, we are still going to have to work through all of the things to implement that, that that even the ideas that we have are going to have to be flushed out and worked through, that there are going to be hiccups along the way, that we're not going to get it right all the time, right? That that we may have uh, the right ideas, that we may have the I- ideology on lock, but we may not have process together yet, right? And until we go through a thing, you don't know a thing for me. Amen to that. I mean, you're making me think about a quote from very highly regarded and respected uh, pastor emeritus here in uh, the great city of Cleveland, state of Ohio, and his name is Reverend Dr. Otis Moss Jr. And he has a quote and it goes, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, you know, I was feeling frustrated in 2014 over voter suppression. I was running for secretary of state, walking, willing to walk through hell with gasoline clothing on, because that's what that was about in 2014. You know, a black woman running for statewide office, which is still hard, no matter where you are, Ohio, Louisiana, you name it, it's still hard to this day for black folks and especially black women to win statewide, which is another topic for for another time. But, you know, just feeling discouraged about the whole thing, but, but, but pressing on, as they say in the black church. And he said to me, he said, Senator, the struggle is forever. So we are forever in the struggle. And to me, that underlines what you are saying about turning a ship. It doesn't mean that we accept the status quo and it doesn't mean that we don't make the righteous demand and make it right now. But it does mean that we have to be mature enough or at least tactically or strategically savvy enough to know that there are still some other variables, even with our righteous ideas, our humanity. Because I believe that our movement is about humanity. I mean, people can call us progressive. They can call us whatever they want in terms of, but when you line up the things that we are fighting or working for with the other side, be they neoliberals or just traditional or corporatists for both parties or people that just don't want to see wholesale change, line up what we're working towards and line up how they want us to stay the same. And there's one side that stands on the people side and the other side, They are against the people because there's no middle ground when we're talking about Medicare for all or canceling student debt or making sure people have paid family medical leave or making sure that frontline workers get hazard pay or making sure that people have clean water, clean air and clean food. There is no middle ground to taxing the wealthy, the ultra wealthy in this country, making sure that they pay their fair share so that we will have the requisite money or resources to be able to have all the programs that you and I and others are out there fighting for. Like either you are on the side of the people or you are not on the side of the people. And to me, it's just crystal clear. I don't understand where the confusion is, especially in dealing with some of the things we're dealing with right now. So what is your take on Senator Joe Manchin? What is happening in the United States Senate right now? And the fact that Democrats control all the levers of power from both chambers of the Congress 
to the presidency and we still seem to be stuck right now? You know, I read his open letter uh, because I I tried to be uh, open minded. Right. I read it because I tried to uh, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Right. Uh, And and I think that we've got to learn how to reason with people. So we got to find out why they think how they think. Okay. Uh, sure. And, and I can understand the basis of why he feels the way he feels, right? I can understand it from the perspective of eventually the clock hand swings the other way. And what happens when Republicans have power if we have done away with the filibuster, okay? If that is his logic. And, and I can understand that. However, what we have seen is when Republicans get power, they are unrelenting. Say that. That they will make a rule this year. President Obama can't appoint uh, justice to the Supreme Court and then end up in the same situation, not two or three presidential terms later, the, the very next presidential term. Right. Right. And the, the exact same situation and ram a justice on the court. Right. And Republicans willfully go along to do so. And, and so for me, when you can watch them do that, there's a there's a quote that a friend told me before. Playing by the rules is admirable as long as everybody's playing by the rules. But if everybody ain't playing by the rules and you still playing by the rules, you're a damn fool. That's it. Uh, and what Democrats have displayed is that they are foolish right now because you are you are literally in a war for resources with the conservative uh, movement in this country and, a, and in a war to hold on to power. And instead of figuring out how do we evolve our constitution, how do we evolve our government? Because they gave us the authority to amend, to change, to do these things because the government is not supposed to remain the same. It is not a structure that cannot evolve. They gave us mechanisms to do different things and we should use the tools at our disposal to help the American people, period. Full stop, right right there. But to us in this movement, It is to say why it is so important that we stop sending moderates to represent us and that we grow our margins, that we become serious about 2022 today because we have 30 plus U.S. Senate races that are going to be up. What are the five or 10 seats that we can be competitive in and make sure that we get Democrats and progressive minded people elected to those seats? How are we looking at 2024, right? We have got to stop looking at every individual election and stopping there. Republicans are looking at a 10-year strategy about how they move forward. And we have to become more strategic in how we move in order to accomplish the things that we desire to accomplish because we may not get 10 Senate seats in, in 2022, but we may get three or four. And if the three or four that we get help us get a bigger margin in the U.S. Senate, then that helps us accomplish the things that we need to accomplish because Republicans are not going for a little of it. They want it all. Yeah. Yes. And they've shown that. I mean, they playing chess and we still playing checkers. Uh, we playing connect four. <laughs> we playing connect four out here. Not, not checkers. That, that's all. I, I love me some good connect four though, Just but not in politics. Without putting the little, the little plastic piece at the bottom that hold the pieces from falling through. You know what I'm talking about? Have, I know exactly. The board ain't even put together right. <laughs> pieces just falling through. <laughs> we, we, we 
he's still in preschool. He's just and all graduate let, me help you, let me help you put the board here. And and the board is strategy. Like like the foundation yes. of this is strategy. What is your strategy? You know, are we just jumping up doing stuff? You know, yes. oh, I, yes. I I think I want to be this. Okay, well, what, what, what have you done, baby? What work have you done in community to show us that? One of the other things that we got we to gotta consider is a zebra doesn't change its stripes and a leopard don't change its spots. Whoever people are before they got elected is who they will be when they get elected. We need to stop electing people who are not fighters and then expecting them to go fight somebody. Come on. You ain't never fought nobody. You gonna, And we're going to send you to the biggest arena in the government possible. And expect to, to test it out, right? You, you ain't been in no training. You haven't gone through anything. And that's why, to me, we need more working class. I want folks who've been through some stuff. Listen. I want some folks who had to live paycheck to paycheck, had lights off and gas off and had to dodge the bill collector. Them, them the kind of folks I want in office. If, if you are electing people who don't understand your experience to represent you, that is why you are getting the results from your government that you are right. Yes. That, that, that if people have never had to uh, rub dimes and nickels together to figure out how to make it happen, Come on. then they don't know how to consider those people before they consider corporate interests. Right. That's the, it. The, the people there. And listen, I have met Republicans and conservatives that are really good people. Right. I have met some too. Kind, thoughtful, but their life's experience has been one of wealth and privilege. And as a result, they cannot even begin to fathom what the world is like for people who did not grow up in the same sandbox as them. And so, you know, I'm all good with the Ivy League degrees. I support people going to get your high education. But, you know, some of the best wisdom I ever got came from people with high school diplomas. Some ain't even have that. Mother with my grandmother was born in in 1915 and she only had a third grade education. But I put my grandma head to head with any PhD. Do you, you hear me? I mean? <laughs> Do you hear me? You, as you would say, hello somebody. <laughs> hello somebody. <laughs> Don't sleep on the grandmas, baby. That mother with in the black community ain't to be played with. My grandmother told me, baby, there's taught sense and bought sense, and you buy all yours. Come on. <laughs> you buy all yours. You know? You know what, Chambers? Let's stay right there because I want to get to your, I got to get to your nonprofit and what you've been doing all over the country. And we're going to have a part two, Gary Chambers part two. But I just want to rest right there because, you know, my grandmother had this saying, and I, I, she had many sayings, but one, she, you know, I, w- I would walk around, I can't wait to be grown. You know, life ain't going your way. Can't wait to be grown. And my grandmother said, baby, you got a long time to be grown, but a little while to be a child. You know, and I'm like, what is she talking about, baby? And don't it make so much sense now? Woo! <laughs> a whole bunch of sense right now. I know what grandma was talking about. A long time to be grown and a little while to be a child. I have an 11 year old and, and I'm always like, baby, don't be in a rush to grow up. Just just Come enjoy, enjoy this, this time. Because if I could go back to no bills just for a month, <laughs> you know, I don't even I don't even need I don't need the whole year. Just give me a month, <laughs> you know, when I ain't got to pay for nothing. They got no, nah, you know, uh. And, and and the more you grow, especially I'm an entrepreneur. And so it's not just me that I'm I'm responsible for anymore. I've got to make sure that as I earn that I'm making sure that there's enough to take care of the other people uh, around me. Right. Because other families are depending on the work that we do, actually creating a revenue for them to be their families. Right. And I had to, I remember when I had to think about stuff like that. 
<laughs> you yeah. know, I remember when I didn't have to worry about me because <laughs> me was taken care of. <laughs> right. That's it. Woo, Lord, Hammer. We're going to have a whole episode about motherhood and the wisdom of grandmamas and granddaddies. But I'm telling you, grandma, grandma didn't play. My maternal grandma was just something else. And, you know, my three, the three bones that I'm really known for really came from that grandmother, the wishbone the jawbone and the backbone. But I tell you, they just don't make them like that. Southern women, Southern grandmas. It's just something about them Southern Where women. Where was your grandmother yeah. from? Actually, my great-grandfather, her father had a farm in Tiller, Arkansas. And I remember my mother telling me stories about my grandfather always being worried about uh, the white man coming to try to take his property you know, a- a- away from him. I wish that my grandmother's generation had a kept that farm, but you know, for whatever reason, they they didn't keep it. And uh, on my gra- on my father's side, my grandparents are from Gainesville, Georgia. Okay. All right, so there we were cruising through the new open air zoo when I realized that the park was closing in like fifteen minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue with its powerful. DC turbo engine? Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. I know you you up there in Ohio where it snows at, and I don't know why anybody would want to live. <laughs> Remember the last time yeah. we did it? We did a gram in May. It was snowing. I was like, what, is, what in the world is this woman going through with the snow up here? You know? <laughs> what is this? Why would you subject yourself to this? I don't understand. I, no. <laughs> I think it's a cleansing of the earth. That, okay? Call it what you want. Cleansing. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> Too cold. <laughs> in May, we were still experiencing snow. You know, I've been pushing this whole concept of a new black South. Uh, 55% of black folks already live in the South. 
and I just want all our cousins to come on home. Come on home. There's a remigration happening, right? I mean, pe- black folks are coming back. Let's take over, right? Like, like yes. we currently have three black U.S. senators, really two, because one of them, he, he kind of lost, he lost his way. And so we could have 16 potentially that if we, Louisiana's 34% black, Mississippi's 37% black, uh, Georgia's 34% black, right? If, if these states were 40% black, if they were 45% black, that there's enough conscious uh, white folks and others that would side with us on many of these things and we could flip to have, we have no black governors in this country right now. We could go to have eight black governors, potentially. We could have 16 black U.S. senators. We could have uh, 70 or 80 black members of Congress, right? And, and the power, when I talk about strategy, when I talk about the long game, when I talk about how do we accomplish the things that we want, to me, the doorway is the South. And, and mm-hmm. if, if my sister Nina is from Arkansas or Georgia, uh, that there are roots here from all of us that we could, we could literally... You know, I understand the the logic of generations before they said, let's go back to Africa, right? Uh, I understand the logic of that. But this is my home. This here soil is my home. And I'm going to demand that it's this government do right by me, but strategically that if we were more in critical mass, we could ensure that they do right by us because we then have the ability to control the mechanisms of power. One of the things that I, that brought me to that was I, I thought about how most black folks, we're not even able to debate ideology with each other because we always at war with somebody else. Say that. That, that we have never even had a structure where we can, we can reason against each other about what, do, what does a black education system look like in America? Because even an HBCU is controlled by a state government. And if the state government is ran by people who don't look like the people who attend the HBCU, who's making the decisions about how the money gets spent there? Every board member at Southern University is appointed by the governor of the state of Louisiana. Well, we ain't had a black governor since the 1870s. Right. So how many people have been appointed to positions because you did something to help a white man instead of what you did to help black folks? And, and when we process yeah, it through that, through that lens, it's really for me about how do we eliminate the ability for anybody else to determine our destiny but us. And that really is what our forebears were working towards when they worked so hard for us to get the right to vote in the first place, which was the ability to be able to control our own political destiny. And that's why when we were going through the Reconstruction period, which was the greatest period of political expansion for black folks on all levels was because they understood that key concept that you're throwing down right now. You, you know, in Louisiana, in Reconstruction, we went from no black elected officials in the, in the state, right, to a black president of the state Senate, a black lieutenant governor, black House members, black Senate members. Oscar Davis was the lieutenant governor. He dies. PBS Pinchback is the president of the Senate. He's a black man. He becomes lieutenant governor. The governor goes out in a scandal. And then Louisiana has a black governor for seven weeks in the 1870s. Right. Yes. And and it's not it's a hundred years in this country before another black person is elected governor, because what white America at the time saw was that 
this ability for black people to vote is the ability for them to control the entirety of the government. Because a black man, a few years after our ancestors were enslaved, could become the governor of the state of Louisiana. And hence comes Jim Crow. And, and I think when you put it into that perspective, that is an example of what it was like when we had critical mass. That's right. You know, and, and now we don't. And so, and we were even looking at what we would call gross states. So you in Ohio would be uh, a gross state, a state that we would pull from to help another state have the potential, right? No, you'd be a feeder state. So you're a feeder state to go to a growth state. So Ohio would be a feeder state. California would be a feeder state. New York, because these are states in in my perspective that black people will never be the majority of because we just don't have the mathematical numbers to do it. And and this is not to say we're segregating because we're not telling white people to move out of the South, but we're saying how do we ensure that black people in this country have the capacity to really impact the, the legislation of this government locally and nationally. And I think our brown brothers and sisters should do the same in Texas and Arizona and uh, New Mexico and California. And, and the browning of America can be materialized in a much swifter transition than the way that we are. And, and we don't have to debate with, with Manchin because we got their numbers. I know that's right. So you you really shown enough talking about playing chess. Oh, oh <laughs> this yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, is a chess yeah. move like no other. You know, there was an entirely black or majority black legislature in South Carolina at a time, too. And, and maybe we can come back and, and talk about that as well. So talk to us about your nonprofit, uh, what your goals are, and uh, how, how do people find you? How do they find out more about this nonprofit and and how can they help? So we launched a 501c4 bigger than me uh, after the election. And, you know, bigger than me came from uh, my decision to go ahead and endorse and help Karen Carter Peterson in the runoff uh, because, you know, it is bigger than me. It's it's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than uh, any one group of us that, if we are truly committed to this work and wanting to see change happen in this country, that that has to be the mindset that we take. And so the work that we want to do is to help register thousands of voters in the Deep South, as well as do civic engagement workshops to help teach people. I, so many times I talk to people, they don't even know, you know, what different mechanisms of government do, what this government's function is or this member of government's function is everybody doesn't need to be elected. Some people need to serve on boards and commissions. Do people understand that boards and commissions have so much power in their communities? Your library board controls how much money gets spent on libraries in your community, right? Uh, Your parks and recreation commission does the same thing. Who sits on those boards and who's spending those tax dollars in your neighborhood? Because that impacts your life far more than Trump or Biden, right? Uh, It's how that money is dispersed within your community. Yes. And we want to help get more people to be civically engaged in their community because I think that it can't just be, oh, come vote for this person, come vote for that person. And they don't even fully understand what these people do and how it impacts their lives. And so we want to go all over the country with the civic engagement aspects because no matter where you live in this country, we want you to be actively involved and know how to be actively involved in your community. Um, And so we think that that work is going to also 
pivot us into finding more progressive voices and doing the work of helping train and mold people uh, to run. And then, you know, I got a couple hundred thousand followers. I thought, why not yield my platform to help other people who are running for office that may not have the platform, right? And, And it's really just trying to do for others the things that we needed done for us in our campaign that I didn't want to leave anybody else 1,500 votes short if I knew that I could do more. I had two choices at the end of the election. I could be upset about the way things went and point fingers at everybody that didn't do this or this that didn't happen. Or I could say, these are the lessons I learned. How do I then go out and help other people? Uh, Because the Calvary ain't coming. When you live in a state like Louisiana, it is hard to get people to pay attention to our issues. And so that may be the same for someone else in North Carolina, like Erica Smith, who we just left uh, North Carolina. I did four cities in North Carolina with her over the weekend and got to see, you know, her community and what she's fighting for. We need to be able to mobilize in that way. And so I'm not expecting anybody else to do it. I'm going to do it. And so we've launched the website is biggerthanme.com and you can find out about you know the things that we support and the work that we're doing and contribute to help empower uh, us to go do this. Hopefully we are coming to Ohio to help my good sister cross that finish line because I, I just believe that we need each other. We do. We really do. And I just applaud you so much. And I'm glad that God has given you a vision and he's going to provide the provision for this vision that you have. I want to close our conversation for this moment uh, with something that, as I, as I said, I've been following you on the gram and you said, well, you you put a lot of things, but this one just kind of stuck with me. I put this in my save folder, but everyone can't make it to the promised land. Remember that stop expecting everyone to get it. They won't also stop allowing others disbelief to shape your plans or actions. They call you crazy until it works. So keep pushing towards your goals and dreams. Hashtag bigger than me. They call you crazy until it works really stuck out to me because one of my favorite quotes and I am a quote fanatic love quotes, love scriptures to terms to elevate our consciousness and our thinking and to help us keep pressing on as they say in the black church was a quote by President Nelson Mandela. It always seems impossible until it is done. Indeed. And you, you, you lay that. And so the wisdom, I, I encourage everybody to go to Gary Chambers Jr. and follow him on the gram, baby. He lays the knowledge. He kicks that Southern wisdom. Uh, he is a millennial, but I'm telling you, he, he definitely got that granddad, grand, grandmama, mother wit going on and that young self. And you are just really, you're, you're, you're at the dawn of, I think, very great work. And I'm so glad that you're using your skills, your abilities, your intellect and your love for our people and all people to do a magnificent thing in this world. Gary Chambers, Jr., baby, you doing the daggone thing. And it is bigger. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. And I am so glad. And I look forward to working with you for many, many years to come. Thank you, my sister. Thank I appreciate you. you Thank you for joining us.
Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.